beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the question in our text this morning, the question that's the focus of this morning's sermon as well as this year's home visits, is a question that probably all of us has, have asked. Where are you? Children, you've probably asked that question, haven't you? You've, you've had it before where you were playing in the living room somewhere or somewhere in the house and, and you thought your mom and your dad or your dad were, were there in the room and all of a sudden you realize they were gone and you called out, Dad, Mom, where are you? Or, or maybe you, you've had the experience before of losing your mom at the grocery store and, and all of a sudden you realize she's gone and, and you wonder, Mom, where are you? Maybe parents, you've lost your, your, your children somewhere before and you've called out to them, son, daughter, where are you? Or perhaps you've given them a chore to do and, and when you look to see if they're doing it, you see they're nowhere to be found and you call out, where are you? Or maybe, maybe parents, you wonder sometimes when an older son or, or daughter is out late at night, you wonder, where are you? It's a question we've probably all asked, but in our text, Genesis 3 verse 9, it's a question God asks. We read in that verse, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Where are you, Adam? That was the Lord's question to Adam in our text. And in the context of Genesis 3, this question is very significant. It's significant because it's the first thing God says after man's fall, our fall into sin. Adam has just committed the very first sin as the first man, as our representative. Together with his wife Eve, he has just eaten the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That, that fruit, that tree that God had told him not to eat from. He has just plunged himself and all humanity, us together with him, into the state of sin and death and depravity, into the state of, of, of enmity against God. He has lost, he has lost the fellowship and the friendship with God that he, he, he had once enjoyed. And that, that's very clear when you read verses 7 and 8 as uh, the, the fallout from, from, the, from his, his sin. The eyes of, of both of them were, were open and they, they become aware that they're naked. They feel shame for their nakedness. And they attempt to fix it by, by covering themselves up with, with fig leaves. And when they hear the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden, what do they do? They try to hide themselves from God's presence among the trees of the garden. And it's in this context with Adam in a state of misery, in a state of sin and death, that the Lord God comes with his question that he calls to Adam and he says to him, Where are you? It's his question to Adam. But Adam was also our representative. And so it's also the Lord's question, congregation, to you and to me. Where are you? To each one of us here this morning or listening online, he's asking, where are you? And so with God's help, also in connection with our new home visit th season, we would like to consider our text under the theme, the Lord's question to you. Where are you?
And in light of the context, we'll draw out three main thoughts. First, this question is a heart-probing question. Secondly, it's a God-revealing question. And third, it's a faith-inviting question. Adam, where are you? Maybe that seems like a strange question for God to ask. What is it about? Well, the first thing to notice from our text about this question is that it's a heart-probing question. When the Lord says to Adam in our text, where are you? It, it's, it was not about which tree Adam was hiding behind. That's not what God was interested in. The whole context makes it clear. The Lord's question to Adam was about something far deeper. It was about his relationship, Adam's relationship to God. That's what it was about. It was a question searching, examining Adam's heart and soul. Probing, probing his heart. And it's a question that probes the hearts of all of us here this morning. Where are you? Where am I? Are you in the same state as Adam was when the Lord asked him this question? The state of misery, the state of sin, the state of death, and of of separation from God. You know, that is where we are by nature. Except we are born again by the Holy Spirit. We are in Adam, and and in Adam we are dead in sins and, and trespasses. And like Adam here in our text, we do not seek God. We are afraid of God. We we hide from God. We are guilty before God. That's the state Adam was in. That's where he was when God called to him and said to him, Where are you? And that's a state, congregation, we are all in, apart from God's saving work in our hearts. We might show it in different ways. You think about the parable, what we sometimes call the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Some people, they they show their sinfulness, they show their depravity, their separation from God like that son. Like like the tax collectors and, 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 and prostitutes in Jesus' day whom that son was really a picture of. In his parable. They, they take the blessings God has given them and they waste it all. They, they try to get as far away from God as possible. They live, if I can use the expression, they, they live like the devil. They despise their parents. They scoff at the church. They, 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 they party, they get drunk, they, they sleep around, they do whatever they feel like. They live in the far country as much as possible. Even if they come to church, their minds are not on God, but they are on the things and on the pleasures of this world. That's what they love. That's what they live for. Is that where you are this morning? Do you hear the Lord's heart probing question to you? Where are you? Yes, you're here physically in church, but you're not really here. You're in your own world, the world of pleasure, the world of wealth, the world of lust, the world of pride. And you're rebelling against God, and you're running from God as fast as you can, and you're hiding, you're hiding from God. Is that where you are? But maybe you 
you sit here and you say, no, that's, that's not me. That's not where I am. But are you sure? You see, it's not only by, by living like a prodigal that we can show our separation, our distance from God. We, we can show our, our, that lost condition, our deadness, our spiritual deadness, our separation from God, our enmity toward God. In other ways too, we can show it like the, the, the prodigal son's older brother. Like him, we can outwardly appear to lead a good life. We, just like the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders in Jesus' day. We can be like model children. We can be religious. We can even appear to be faithfully serving the Lord. We, we, we can do good things and, and we can avoid bad things. We don't live in the far country. We don't waste our time and our money on parties and prostitutes like the younger brother did. We can look so good outwardly. We can read our Bibles and we can pray every, every day, every night. We can make sure we cross all our, or we dot all our religious I's and cross all our religious T's. But for the older brother, what was it all at the end of the day? What was it all at the end of the day? It was trees and fig leaves. That's what it was. He showed that by his angry refusal to join the celebration when his younger brother came home. He had made it look like he was with the father. He maybe even had convinced himself that he was with his father, but his heart was not. You see the point? We can be super religious. We can look good on the outside. And yet the Lord may say of us what he said of the people of Jerusalem in Isaiah 29 verse 13. They draw near me with their mouth. And with their lips do honor me. But have removed their heart far from me. Where are you? That's the Lord's question to you. He's not asking you how religious you are. He's not asking you whether you've been born into a Christian family and been baptized. He's asking where your heart is. Where is your heart? He's probing your heart. He's probing my heart with this question. You can be as religious as a Pharisee and yet your heart can be as far from God, as far from the kingdom of heaven as the prodigal son was from his father. You can be a covenant child. You can be a baptized child. And that's a wonderful blessing. That's a great encouragement, a great privilege. And yet, you can still be spiritually dead, spiritually lost. As dead and as lost as the drunks and the druggies in our towns and cities. Do you hear God's question to you today? All of you, all of us, young people, children, where are you? Where is your heart? Is it far from God? Separated, separated, alienated from Him by your sins and your pride? At enmity with Him? Are you running from Him? Are you turning from Him? Are you hiding from Him in the trees and, and, the, and the leaves of religion? In the fig leaves of self-righteousness? Instead of going to Him in a humble confession of your sins? Where are you? Where are you? It's a probing question, isn't it? But now I know some of you are thinking, Pastor, I'm not there. 
I'm not where Adam was when God asked that question. I used to be, but not anymore. Oh, I once was, was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. I once was dead, but now I've been made alive by God. I've been born again and converted by His grace. I've turned in repentance and faith to God in Christ. Yes, I once was far off, but now in Christ Jesus, I've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Oh, what a blessing it is when you can say that. That's where you ought to be. That's where we all ought to be. What amazing grace it is, what that is, where you are. What a reason, what a reason to rejoice, to be thankful. But even when that's true of you, the Lord's question probes your heart too. It probes not just the hearts of the unconverted, but it probes the hearts of those of us who have been converted. How many times? How many times does the Lord have to call, have to come and to call us as it were and say, where are you? I called you to walk in my ways, in obedience to my commands, all my commands. But where are you? I, I called you to worship me. But where are you? I called you to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. But where are you? I called you to be holy, even as I am holy. But where are you? I called you to pray. But where are you? I called you, I called you to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. I called you to be a salt and a light in this world. But where are you? I called you to trust me with all your heart in this trial and in this trouble and to lean not on your own understanding. But where are you? I called you to bring up your children in the admonition and fear of the Lord and not provoke them to wrath. But where are you? I called you to love and to serve one another even as I have loved and served you. But where are you? I called you to fellowship and commune with me at my table in true faith. But where are you? I called you to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. But where are you? I called you to work out your own salvation consistently and with fear and trembling. But where are you? Where are you? a heart-probing question. Sometimes the place we are is like the place Jonah was when God called him to preach to Nineveh. Children, you know that story? Where did Jonah go the first time that God called him to go preach to Nineveh? He went to Tarshish and he went to a ship and he got down into the bottom of the ship to hide, to flee from the presence of the Lord. Do you not have those times, dear fellow believer? Do you not have it sometimes where you need, even need him to send a storm before you stop? Trying to run, trying to flee. 
Sometimes even we need, yes, to be in the belly of the whale, don't we? With the weeds wrapped around our heads. And then God's call comes to us again. Where are you? Or sometimes we're like Elijah. And you remember the story of Elijah after that great victory at Mount Carmel. And then Jezebel hears how he killed all the prophets of Baal. And she says, God do so to me more also. Or the gods do so to me more also and more also. If I do not make your life as one of the lives of one of those prophets by tomorrow. And what, is, what does Elijah do? He, he flees, he runs, and he goes into the wilderness. And he's discouraged. That's where he is. That's where he is. He's discouraged. He's despairing. At the, the, the lack of, not only at the fear of his own life, but at the lack of true fear of the Lord in Israel. And God calls to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? Where are you? And Elijah tells him. And God ministers to him, doesn't he? He ministers to him. He comes to him in his still, small voice. And he encourages him. So that he, begin, he, he gets up and he goes back and he, and he, he continues to walk by renewed faith in, in the Lord and, and in, in the way of thankful obedience to him. That's, that's where we should be. That's where we should be. Where are you? That's the Lord's question to you. And it's, it's this question, congregation, that, that the elders hope to make the focus of their conversations and, uh, and discussions in their visits with us this coming season. Not because they are perfect men. Not because they just want to pry. But because they are called to care for our souls. As those who must give account to God. God calls us, you see, congregation as pastor and elders especially, to care for and watch over you. And his question comes to us as well in relation to that. Pastor, elders, where are you? Are you watching over? Are you caring for my flock? That's the calling we have. And it's a solemn responsibility. And of course, home visits, official home visits, are not the only way to fulfill that. But they are an important way in congregation. Let's not discourage them from that then, but let's encourage them. Let's remember that they are God's appointed servants. And let's not complain about them then, but, but, but rather pray for them and esteem them highly in love for their work's sake. And when they ask to meet then at this time and on this day, then, then let's do our best to make it work. Or if it absolutely doesn't, then come up with an alternative. The elders have their calling that they have to answer to God for. But as a congregation, we also have a calling from God. A calling to submit to the elders in the Lord that they may do their work with joy and not with grief. And his question comes to us in relation to this calling and this responsibility also. Where are you? Are you submitting to them, to their care, humbly and willingly? Where are you? It's a question that probes our hearts. And, and that can be one way we can discuss this, not just... Not just at home visits. Why don't we make this a, a topic that we discuss amongst ourselves in our conversations with one another from time to time this season? Where are you? Where are you at spiritually? How's it going? Encourage one another 
in the Lord and listen and, and encourage. Where are you? But we can also talk about this question in relation to what it reveals, what it shows us about God. And this is our, our second thought. It's not only a heart-probing question, it's a God-revealing question. We read in our text, And the Lord God called unto Adam, and he said unto him, Where art thou? Where are you? That was God's question to Adam, almost immediately after he sinned. And what does that tell us about God? Did God not know where Adam was, children? Did God not know where Adam was? Did God not know what Adam had done? Oh yes, he knew. Of course he knew. He's God. So he knows everything, doesn't he? He knew exactly where Adam was. He knew exactly what Adam had just done. And the same is true for us. He knows all our hearts and the secrets within. And we sang about that before the sermon, didn't we? From Psalm 139, O Lord, my inmost heart and thought, thy searching eye does see. Wherever I rest, wherever I go, my ways are known to thee. The Lord's question to you, where are you? Does not indicate that God doesn't know where you are, that he doesn't know what you have done, but it does reveal some important things about God. For one thing, it reveals that he is a just God. He is a just God. That is clear from the context of this question. When God asked it of Adam, the context is that Adam has broken God's law. He has broken God's commandment and now God is calling Adam, as it were, to account. Adam, where are you? Children, you have it sometimes, don't you? You, you don't do what your parents tell you to do. And... Your parents find out and you hear their question. Maybe you're hiding from them somewhere. But you hear their question. Where are you? Philip, where are you? The Lord is summoning Adam to give an account of what he has done. And the verses that follow make that clear. God as judge calls Adam before him as it were. Where are you, Adam? Your trial has begun. It's time for you to give account of yourself. God's question to Adam, where are you, reveals that God is a just God, a God who hates sin, a God who deals with sin, a God who punishes sin. God does not, he cannot ignore, he cannot just go on as he did before. He cannot overlook Adam's sin, and he cannot overlook ours either. The Lord's question to you, where are you? reveals and reminds you that He is a just God. He cannot just brush our sins and our sinfulness away. He cannot just paint over it and say it's not that serious. It doesn't really matter that much. No, God cannot and He does not let sin go. That's what this question is teaching us. We are sinners and we have sinned and we have committed evil. We have willfully disobeyed God's clear commandments and God is asking us, where are you? He's revealing and reminding us that He is just. Don't we need that reminder, congregation? Isn't it so easy for us not to think about this fact that God is just? That He is holy and righteous? 
Isn't it so easy for us to live our day-to-day lives without realizing, without remembering that one day God will summon us and we will stand before Him, before God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as our judge. And we will give an account. How often do we live conscious of that? Conscious of the fact that God is just. How would our lives change if we were more aware of this truth that He is just and that He will not and He cannot even overlook one sin? Where are you? That's the Lord's question to you and to me. It's reminding you and it's reminding us that God is just. What are you doing with that reminder? What are you doing with this question, with his summons to you? Are you plugging your ears, pretending you can't hear? Are you trying to run from it? Are you trying to hide from it? Are you, are you, are you trying to evade it like Adam does in the verses following? Are you trying to give excuses and, and, and shifting the blame? You know, one day you won't be able to do that. One day you won't be able to hide from it any longer. One day the Lord will come as judge and He will call your name as it were and He will say to you, where are you? And you will have no choice but to come and to stand before Him. And beloved, if you have never repented, if you have never turned away from sin to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, that will be a terrifying experience. The Bible says of those who don't repent when the Lord comes, they will cry out to the rocks and the mountains, fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. But they won't. The mountains and the rocks will not hide anyone. If you've never repented and turned away from sin, you will hear the most terrifying words, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus himself warns us about that. Oh, but you say, isn't God love? Isn't he full of mercy? Yes, he is. He is. And we'll get to that in a moment. But he's also just and his mercy does not cancel his justice. Thomas Watson once said, though God is more full of mercy than the sun is full of light. Yet he will not forgive a sinner while he continues in his guilt. He will by no means clear the guilty. Where are you? That's the Lord's question. It's revealing and reminding you that he is a just God. But that's not all. That's not all that reveals about God. If it was, we would have no hope. But the Lord's question, His question to you and to me, His question to Adam and to us, reveals that He's not only a just God, He is also a merciful God. Think about it. God knew Adam had sinned. He deserved, Adam deserved the consequence God had warned he would get death. He deserved, Adam deserved, separation from God forever and ever. That's what really death is about. Separation from God, from his friendship, 
from his fellowship. That's what Adam deserved, and that's what we deserve. A.W. Pink put it this way. He said this, What wonder if God had consigned them to everlasting chains under darkness, as he did the angels when they sinned? What wonder if his wrath had instantly consumed them? Such would have been no undue severity. It would simply have been bare justice. It was all they deserved. But no, in his infinite love and infinite condescension and abundant mercy, God deigned, he stooped to be the seeker. And he came down to Eden crying, Where art thou? Spurgeon, he put it so vividly, he said, If God had intended to destroy the human race, he would have hurled his thunderbolts at once and burned the trees and let the ashes of the sinner lie beneath his angry gaze. He would have rushed in the whirlwind and in the storm and tearing up the cedars and the pomegranates by their roots. He would have said, Here thou art, thou rebel, thou traitor. Take thy due deserts. Let hell open before thee and be thou swallowed up forever. But he doesn't do that. Do you see? He's a God of mercy. He comes. He comes into the garden where Adam has just sinned. He comes and he calls, Adam, where are you? He comes and he seeks the rebel. He seeks for the traitor. He seeks for the sinner. He comes and he comes not only to pronounce the sentence, but also to proclaim salvation. We hear that especially in Genesis 3 verse 15, don't we? In his promise of enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, and that the seed of the woman should bruise, would bruise the head of the serpent. That's God. That's God proclaiming salvation. He comes to seek and to save the lost. Do you see that? Do you see in the Lord's coming to Adam in the garden and calling unto him, Where are you? Do you see the mercy of God? But now this is not just the Lord's question to Adam, is it? It's his question to you. Where are you? He's a God of justice, yes. But he's also a God of mercy. He's summoning you, yes. But he's also seeking you. He's seeking lost sheep. He's seeking wandering sheep. He's seeking the unconverted. He's seeking the converted who still so often stray and wander off. He's a merciful God. That's what his question to you reveals. Do you see that? He's calling out to you right now. Even today, he's come here in our midst by his spirit and his word and he's calling to you. Sinner, where are you? Doesn't that show you what a merciful God he is? Maybe you say, how is it? How can that be? How can God do that? How can a holy and a just God, a perfect, a God who is perfect in holiness, how can he, how can he be merciful? How can, how can it be that he can seek sinners? How, how can it be that he can seek me? 
Do you know what the answer is? The reason God can seek sinners. The reason he could seek Adam in the garden so many years ago. And the reason he can be here today seeking you. is because when his son, the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, when he was made sin, when he was made a curse, when he was bearing the transgressions of many on the cross, God did not come in his mercy. He did not call unto his son and say to him, My son, where art thou? He did not seek his son. No, he showed his son no mercy. Instead, he forsook him. He poured out his wrath upon him until he had completely satisfied the justice of God. That's how he can seek sinners. That's how he can seek you today. That's how he can be here today, even now, this moment, calling out to you, where are you? What a God-revealing question. But that leads us also to our third thought. The Lord's question to you, where are you, is not only a heart-probing question, And a God-revealing question, it's also a faith-inviting question. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? What was his purpose? What was his his ultimate, his main purpose with that, that question in the garden? What is his purpose with that question to you today? Wasn't it and isn't it to invite us to faith in him? Doesn't the Lord coming and calling to Adam, seeking him and saying to him, where are you? Doesn't it remind you of someone else? Maybe not someone else. should rephrase that. Doesn't it remind you of someone in the New Testament? Doesn't it remind you of the Lord Jesus? Doesn't it remind you of what he said of himself when he was on earth? I, the Son of Man, am come to seek and to save the lost. Doesn't it make you think of a passage like Luke 15? What does Jesus do in Luke 15? He tells a parable and he compares himself to three things there. He compares himself to a, to a shepherd who has lost a sheep and he goes out seeking it until he finds it. And when he has found it, he, he lays it on his shoulders and he comes home rejoicing and he invites all his friends to rejoice with him. He compares himself to a woman who has lost a piece of silver and, 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 and searches for that piece until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls all her friends to rejoice with her that she found it. He compares himself to a father who sees his wayward son returning to him far in the distance. And when he sees him, he runs to him. He loses all dignity and he runs to him and he embraces him and he kisses him. And he welcomes him home. He gives him the, the best robe. He kills the fatted calf. He welcomes him, welcomes him home. Don't you hear his voice? The voice of Jesus coming through in this question. Where are you? I have come, he is saying, to seek and to save the lost. I have come to give rest to the weary and the heavy laden, heavy laden with the guilt and the shame of sin. 
heavy laden with the burden of, of their depravity, of their inability. Where are you? Come, he says, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Where are you? That's the Lord's question to you. It's the voice of the Savior inviting you, calling you to faith in Him, to trust in Him, to rest upon Him alone for all your salvation. No matter how greatly you sinned, no matter how long you've sinned, no matter what obstacles you see in yourself, He's calling you and He's saying to you, Where are you? Where are you? Are you a prodigal? Have you wasted everything? Have you wasted your life? Wasted your time in sermons? He's seeking you. He's looking for you. Where are you? Where are you? Will you come to him? In repentance, like the prodigal son confessing, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Will you come to him? Are you the older brother? Outwardly religious, but with no real relationship, no real connection to God. He's seeking you too. He's come out of the house and he's entreating you. Where are you? Son, where are you? Won't you come inside? Won't you stop trusting in yourself? And turn in faith to me. Have you already come to Christ? Are you already in Him, united to Him, engrafted into Him by true faith? Well, then let the Lord's question encourage you also to continue in that faith, to persevere in trusting in the Lord and following Him. He comes to you, asking you, where are you? Inviting you to, to, to follow Him, to turn to Him in daily repentance and faith, reminding us that though we oft have sinned against Him, still His love and grace Abide. As you continue to live by faith in Christ in all of your struggles, in all the trials, and all of the troubles, his question reminds you where you are. You are in Christ. And you are safe. No matter what may happen, no one can pluck you. You are in His hands and no one can pluck you. No one can snatch you out of the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are safe. You are in Christ. And one day, you will be with Him. One day, you will be forever with the Lord. There's no better place to be. So where are you? That's the Lord's question to you this morning. And it's the question we hope to consider as a congregation over this season. May the Lord bless our visits and conversations around this theme. And I pray that everyone here will not forget this question. And won't wait to answer it 
Don't put off repentance. Don't put off faith. The Lord is seeking you today. You may not be here tomorrow. Where are you? Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we give thanks for this question that's been recorded for us in your word. To search our hearts, to probe our hearts. Lord, you know where we are. Sometimes it can, we can struggle to know ourselves where we are. But Lord, we pray that through your spirit and word applying this to our hearts and lives, we, you would show us, you would open our eyes to see to see where we are. And Lord, that those who are separated from you by their sins and iniquities, they would see the danger they are in, that they would see the death that they are living in, that they would humble themselves and turn in faith and repentance to the Lord Jesus Christ, that they might be in him And Lord, for those of your people who are in him, those of us who are here this morning, and we can testify with humble thanksgiving that though we were lost, now we've been found. Though we were dead, now we've been made alive. Lord, that that would give us much reason for humility, for thanksgiving, and for perseverance. Looking for the consolation that and the inheritance that you have kept for us. So Lord, we pray that you would bless us. Help us in this day. Bless again the classes that meet after the service. The children in their Sunday school and the catechism. And our conversations as well. May it all be to your glory and honor. To awaken lost sinners. To convict sinners. To comfort with the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.